Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. All right. Uh, Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, April 17th, 2021. You are listening to the Northside Sox podcast, which is a subsidiary of the Southside Sox podcast network. I am Janice Scurrio. Uh, Alongside me, as usual, is my wonderful co-host, Sam Sherman. Uh, So today we've got a really special episode. Uh, So uh, as you might have heard, uh, something super cool uh, happened on Wednesday. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Sam, what happened on Wednesday anyway? Uh, Did you get your... uh, (laughs) Did you get your second COVID vaccine shot or like what what happened on Wednesday? Uh, Well... Uh, the White Sox did play a game, and they they won they won said game. Uh, but uh, something I guess relatively uh, unexpected happened, and and kind of the the beauty of the sport, as people say, of any you know any given night in a baseball game during yeah. the week, you know. That's right. That's right. Yeah, your mean Mercedes homered and singled twice. That's what happened. Uh, but uh, no, uh, all jokes aside, uh, Carlos Rodon uh, threw a no hitter. It would have been a perfect game. Uh, 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 he th- he uh, hit someone with a pitch. I'm so incredibly uh, just enraged out of nowhere right now. I can't remember <laughs> who he hit. Oh, Roberto Perez. Okay. Yes, yes. So came back to me. Uh, but otherwise, really fantastic performance from Carlos. Uh, so. Uh, he's had quite a journey. It's certainly a story of resilience. Uh, he was brought in to pitch game three of the AL wildcard game, and he couldn't get one out. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's had Tommy John surgery. He's also had some shoulder issues. Uh, he was non-tendered in the off season, and then he was brought back to the White Sox uh, on a $3 million deal. And after um, uh, his, his second start of the season, he throws a no-hitter. Uh, so today we're going to talk a little bit about how that happened and uh, just the absolute magic in that performance. Uh, but with us today uh, is someone uh, who is a very special to Carlos and someone who uh, has been very instrumental in his development. Uh, we've got uh, Rod Whitesell. He is the head coach at Holly Springs High School in North Carolina. Uh, Rod, how the heck are you? I'm doing well. I really appreciate you guys having me. Um especially under these circumstances. What an awesome moment and an 
awesome day in Chicago, but especially for Carlos and here in Holly Springs, what an awesome day. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So tell us a little a bit about yourself and uh, your coaching background. Uh, so I've been the coach at Holly Springs for this is my 15th year. Um, uh, we opened the school in 2006. So when Carlos was a freshman, it was only his second year uh, of the school. Um, so I've been the coach the entire time then. Carlos was a part of the second. I'll say it's the third graduating class. We start with freshmen, sophomores, um, and then work our way up to have a graduating class. He came in the second year. There were six other freshmen that came in with him that all started on varsity um, as freshmen. And we built the program, and Carlos was a huge part of that. And um, it, it's been so much fun to see all his success with us and then at NC State. And now hopefully that success is going to really start coming with the White Sox, which, which is awesome. Cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, tell us a little bit about Holly Springs, uh, the baseball conference that y'all play in. Yeah, so uh, Holly Springs, we play in the Southwest Athletic Conference, which is one of the best baseball conferences in the entire state of North Carolina. Um, we have multiple local schools that, are, that have produced college players every year. Um, I don't think we've produced or anyone around has produced anyone like Carlos. Um, Josh Hamilton is from this area, and we played his school um, when Carlos was playing. They were actually probably – I'll say that we were pretty good, so I'll say they were the second-best team at the time. But uh, – <laughs> It's a, it's a great area for baseball, great area for youth baseball. Um, it was then, it still is. Um, I want to say when Carlos was playing, I want to say there were four straight years that either the state champion or the state runner-up came from our conference. So wow. um, pretty great baseball area, and he's one of the best that's came from it. Oh, pretty nice. Uh, so when did you get acquainted with Carlos? Uh, say, what was he like? Um, so I would have met Carlos first, I guess, when he in the summer of 2006. We have a summer league baseball team that plays. So when the conclusion of our high school team plays, we have a summer league that plays. Um, and Carlos would have came out that between his eighth and ninth grade year. Um, obviously not the same kid. <clears throat> um, young. I wish I had. I do have some pictures. I, sh I somehow I should get them to you guys. But of a young baby face, um, no facial hair. Not sure he could grow facial hair then, um, <laughs> but uh, just just a young kid, um, but still had that competitive spirit, enjoyed it, um, loved baseball, loved competing, loved playing. Um, and I want to say like the other night, Wednesday, what I saw like uh, him laughing with uh, Prez after I think it's Prez after he hit him. Um, that's kind of it. He's just a competitor, but but he loves playing against other good players. Um, there's no jealousy there. There's no anything. He loves competing. Loves getting it. Um, and I love just seeing the joy on his face. Um, that was reminiscent of that 14-year-old kid. Um, he's been – I guess he's been through so much. I don't know that we've seen that joy in the past couple of years. Um, you got you guys see it on a daily basis. I always watch his stars, but I want to say I watch um, on a daily basis seeing all the interactions off the field, et cetera. But um, that joy was awesome to see. It just reminded me of him as – a young 14 year old kid. Yeah, that was my observation too, is that after uh, he hit Perez, uh, he seemed genuinely amused by it. He seemed as if he was like, oh, well, you know, there probably goes the perfect game, but whatever, you know what, we can still go ahead and uh, get this no-no. Uh, so uh, yeah, he always just kind of has to see, uh, have this uh, kind of happiness within him, which is pretty, pretty rad. Um, yeah, so baseball-wise, uh, what were your early observations of him and what potential did you see in him? 
Uh, obviously, I mean, he that, that left arm is something electric, um, but he could hit too. Um, I would say one of the first things that jumped out was he could really hit um, square balls up, um, really strong, love to hit the fastball, get after. I remember a couple of years ago, he hit a double at uh, Wrigley Field, I believe. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And, and that was kind of cool too, just so like this guy, this guy could hit too. Um, but being young, I mean, obviously he had the electric fastball, a little bit wild, a little bit had to harness it in. Um, he, his stuff is so electric. I would say his fastball might move left one time, might move right one time, kind of natural cutting action on it. And he had to learn to harness that. But uh, once he did, it was special to see. I mean, his junior and senior year, I can't imagine anyone being as dominant as he was at the time. Like, I mean, he's he's got an extra gear. I mean, I think you saw that the other night. I think it was I think it's the fourth inning and uh, Jason Benetti was saying like Carlos didn't have his best stuff. Um, he went 3-0 to the leadoff batter. He's still in like 92-93. And I think the last two pitches to strike that guy out were 96 and 95. It's yeah. like he just took it up that extra notch. He's always had that. Um, the better the hitter, the better the stuff. Um, I will say in high school, he didn't really have to throw the change up. It's kind of hard to throw a change up. Um, you're almost helping the hitters out. Um, at that point in his career. So it's really cool to see the changeup coming along. Um, he would throw it in high school. Like I said, it's a, a minimal amount of hitters he could throw it to because otherwise you're – honestly, you're helping the batters out. Um, and the slider has always been devastating. And he, that's just something he had a natural feel for. I won't say we did anything with that. That was a natural feel um, that he's always had for that slider. And the competitive nature, that has not changed. I mean, he has always been that guy. He wants to win. He wants to beat you. And I'll say this. He was probably laughing with Perez the other day. Inside, he was fuming. I'm going to say it. <laughs> I, I bet I bet I he would have been too. But I, I think he's not the type though, that's going to rub that in. He he gets it as part of the game. Um, but I want to say inside, he's probably fuming. I'll say it. <laughs> it was probably just so incredibly infuriating that it was funny. I'm, I'm yeah, gonna... yeah, that's true, too. Being a little familiar with Carlos's sense of humor from watching his Twitch streams, I, I, I can definitely okay. see that. Uh, but uh, yeah, are, are you familiar with, with uh, Carlos's gaming side? Uh, so I'm not into gaming a whole lot, so I'm having to get ready to take my son to his uh, baseball game. But uh, I'm not a big gamer, but I have seen it and I've heard some of it. His hard Carl, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's that's that toughness one to come out and all that. But uh, yeah, I'm not big into gaming, so I just kind of see some posts he makes and things like that, but I don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. <laughs> so I've got one one quick question for you. Um, you know, you've evaluated obviously, uh, you know, a whole lot of um, young young baseball players in your career. W what was the thing? Do you remember a moment with with Carlos that <laughs> it maybe it wasn't one specific moment, but just something that happened or something that you saw where you thought, okay, the first time where you thought he he might be that next level next level guy, even, you know, beyond, beyond collegially. Yeah. I'll say at freshman year, we were uh, playing at Smithfield Selma, a local rival at the time. Uh, they were probably the best team in our league. They had uh, two players going, one to NC state, one going to Carolina at the time. Um, and we were playing them in a big matchup. If we won, we secured second place. Um, and actually put a lot of pressure on them at the number one seed. Um, if they were to lose the next game. So a lot of pressure, big time game. And Carlos goes out and strikes out 15 batters. Um, they're supposed to be the best team in the league, one of the best teams in the league, state. And here he goes and literally just mowed them down 15 Ks. 
So it's like, great. All right. He's got it. And then the next time out, he did the exact same thing. Struck out 15 again against Clayton, um, not far down the road. Um, so back-to-back 15 strikeout games against Clayton and Smithfield Selma as a freshman. It's like, man, this guy's really good. It is. It was kind of that turning point. And from there, you just saw everything progress and build and just became an excellent player. Um, well, you know, again, thank you for thank you for uh, coming on and, and joining us this, this morning. Um, I think that what you said earlier about that joy that you saw uh, Carlos show after that game and, you know, and even after after that, the perfect game was broken up with the with the hit batter uh, still kind of showing that even if the inside fire was <laughs> was still there. Um, but I think that for for us in Chicago, seeing for most of his career here, he's definitely had it kind of had that very serious outward personality but it i think that um after everything he's been through for all of us um it's it's pretty amazing because you know janice and i have talked about carlos on the podcast over the last you know couple months and i and i think that even though we know that the talent had been there and, and still is obviously um we never thought at least i'll speak for myself i never thought that that would that on, in chicago you know i think we were thinking maybe maybe elsewhere he might find find that spark again um but for it right. to be chicago I think really uh, uh, was obviously a, a pretty amazing thing. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think it was just uh, it was awesome. One of the cool things I thought about too. Uh, a couple of sports writer, um, you guys will know JJ Stankowitz. At least I mm-hmm. say his name. I'm not 100 sure. Yeah, and James Fagan. Fagan. I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. how you say that either. But both, but both of those guys reached out to me. We've done articles with them in the past on some stuff. Um, just about Carlos in high school and things like that. And they both reached out and talked about the joy they had um, from seeing that. So it's really cool to see someone who's, who's had a rough road. Um, I would say up till he got to Chicago, he probably had an easy road. Um, things at NC state happened right away. Things at Holly Springs happened right away. Even in the big leagues um, right away, they kind of happened. And then he had a really tough time. Um, so to see him just that joy he was having, the fun on the mound. Um, and I, I don't – I'm not going to say a whole lot of baseball stuff. But the other night, like, he get in a situation, he was pumping fastballs 96, 97 miles per hour. And that's something he hasn't done in the past couple of years. And I don't know if it's because of the injuries, a little bit of loss of confidence in it, whatever it may be. But to see him – that reminded me of when he's a senior in high school. We were playing T.C. Roberson for the state championship. Um, I got a scouting report on All the scouting report said was don't throw them fastballs. So what do we do? We threw them fastballs all night, two-hit shutout, and we go on to win game one of the state championship and then win game two the next day. But it reminded me of when, when he got in a situation and it got tough, he said, I'm going to challenge people. And he did that the other night. I thought he did that the entire time. Um, and to challenge big league hitters and never back down is – it was pretty awesome to see. It just reminded me, once again, of seeing him in high school and the fun he had just challenging people then. It was awesome to see. Pretty cool. Uh, yeah, let's talk about uh, the performance itself. So he threw 114 pitches, 
uh, 75 of them for strikes. Uh, as everyone already knows, no hits. He just hit one batter, seven strikeouts. Uh, there was plenty of weak contact induced the entire game. I believe uh, Cleveland only had three hard hit balls the entire time. Uh, now, he wasn't getting a whole lot of whiffs on his pitches, uh, but I understand that's like not uh, who, who he is. Uh, so I noticed early that the changeup was the dominant secondary pitch. And then as the game went on, he was throwing the slider a little bit more. Uh, more uh, interestingly enough, I noticed that his velo seemed to increase as, as the game went on. And he, uh, I believe, threw his hardest 98.8 miles per hour, like in the ninth inning. Uh, so uh, some people told me that he's actually always been like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, would you would you agree that he tends to kind of ramp up in the later innings? Yeah, I, I think part of that is, I mean, uh, he's not stuff in the truck. He, he's not the type. Um, he, he knew I, he knew this situation. He knew what was going on. Um, he's not one that would have backed down and said, oh, I'm not going to talk to you about it. I'm nervous about the new. He'll take that challenge on. I think he knew he had a perfect game. He knew he had a no hitter. And I think his juices and his intensity just ramp up. And it reminds me, like I said, in high school, when he faced a good hitter, he might be 91, 92. He's facing a good hitter. All of a sudden, boom, it's 95. Um, I think he's a guy who just understands when there's a big situation and what's going on. And he ramps that intensity up um, and, and does that. I don't, I don't think that was um, – I, yeah, does he get stronger? Probably. But I think a lot of it is – I mean, that's his competitiveness. He wants to win. He wanted to throw the perfect game. He wanted to throw that no-hitter. And his competitiveness takes over. And he just has that – you hear about great players being able to take it up a notch or, or in a key situation, be able to go next level. Um, he's got that. And I think that's kind of what happened. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, it's, it's funny for me being reminded on the broadcast or maybe the, the, in the days afterwards that he's, he's 28 years old. It seems like he's a guy that's been around for <laughs> forever and he's still, you know, he's right there in, in really what, what uh, could very well be the prime after all the, after kind of coming back from the injuries and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, again, maybe not the way that people expected, but you know, he's still, he's still got uh, a whole quite, quite possibly a whole bunch of baseball left. And it seems like if he can kind of, uh, you know, not have to go out and throw a no hitter every time or, or even close to a perfect game. Um, but, uh, but it, it, putting that all together, I think we saw what, you know, what that could look like on Wednesday night. Yeah, I would agree. And it's crazy to think he's only 28. He did go to college for three years, too, and has still been in the big leagues, I believe. Is this his sixth year? Um, I believe that's right. I think, yeah. Yeah. So it is great to see. It's also great to see. I mean, I don't think he had his best stuff the other night. His slider wasn't probably as sharp as it normally is. Um, his fastball velo obviously came as the game went along. So for somebody to not necessarily have their best stuff, and throw a no no hitter against the Indians is still, I mean that just shows you the the potential that's there, and I, I really hope he can continue to harness that and continue to um, improve throughout the year and go. And he said a good quote after the game that, you know, I, I got to get ready for the next start. Um, and I thought that was pretty awesome that that he's not taking this. This is not my peak. This is not my highlight. Um, and, and I think that's awesome because. As a competitor, you, you get to the mountaintop. If you say that's it, then you're falling off that mountaintop pretty quick. Um, for him to immediately recognize that, hey, baseball's tough. 
it's not easy. Next start's not going to be easy. Um, and I'm going to have to fight through it. And I saw a tweet, too, that he was at the ballpark early getting his work in. Uh, and, and that's awesome to see. And I, I think that's that's probably some of the maturity of Carlos coming along, being in the big leagues for six years. Um, well, once again, uh, Rod, thank you so much for, for coming on. Uh, Janice, do you have any other any other questions? Uh, that's pretty much it for me. I just think it's absolutely just remarkable uh, that what Carlos did considering, uh, yeah, he had Tommy John surgery on May 15th, 2019, and he's the first pitcher ever to throw a no-hitter within two years of having Tommy John. Uh, yeah, that, that stat completely floored me. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, anyway, uh, Rod, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time and uh, sharing some insights on Carlos. And uh, yeah, sharing a little bit about uh, of your background with us this morning. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much. Thank you yeah. guys so much for uh, having me on. And hopefully this is a great year for the White Sox. Maybe I can talk to you in October or something. Absolutely. That'd, that'd be that, an awesome. <laughs> that, that would be great. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. I, I appreciate it greatly. Thank you. Take care. Right, sir, have a good Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Well, that was our conversation with Rod Weitzel, uh, uh, Carlos's high school coach from Holly Springs, North Carolina. Really fantastic stuff there. And oh my goodness, uh, looking at some of the notes from uh, uh, Losis, I'm going to call him by his nickname now. He, he's, he's just Los now. Uh, <laughs> some of the notes from his performance. So on April 5th, he threw uh, five innings versus Seattle, uh, 95 pitches, 57 strikes, uh, gave up two hits, hit two batters, uh, three walks. So there's a little bit of wildness, but nine strikeouts, uh, mostly fly balls and line drives, plenty of weak contact. So uh, right now, uh, after two starts uh, through 14 innings, uh, he currently has a really sweet ERA of zero. Uh, looking at his whip, it, it is at 0 0.35. Like I, yeah. that, that's <laughs> mind blowing to me. Uh, he's only given up two hits so far through two starts. Uh, I know it's literally two starts. That is probably the smallest of, of small sample sizes, uh, but I feel as if uh, this is something real. I, I feel as if he's, he's certainly uh, known the stakes. Uh, he knows uh, like what's uh, he, he knows what's at stake. And uh, yeah, he's battling back. Uh, and I admit too, I mean, you mentioned earlier to Rod, uh, Sam, that uh, you and I were like completely recognizant of the fact that the stuff was definitely there. Uh, but we were thinking that he might find better success with an organization that's not the White Sox. Yeah. Uh, I, I, for one, am very happy that the White Sox uh, may, are making us eat our words this morning because Hey, uh, you know what? Like the more wrong we are sometimes the better. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's funny. Cause I was trying to be a little bit, uh, you know, the, quite frankly, and I, I was, I, I kind of wanted to go back and listen to some of the podcasts that we had done to find out exactly what, what I had said personally, just because, you know, I know that 
that uh, and I, this isn't walking anything back. I mean, the fact of the matter is at that time and 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 at the you know in that Cleveland series um, and then in Oakland, uh, you know, not being able to get anybody out and just basically how last season went. Again, a lot of legitimate circumstances for or legitimate reasons for why those struggles were happening. But I had no even with the good spring training, which he did have. You know, spring training statistics are often um, flawed to go off of as far as how a regular season is going to go. Um, but no, I, I did not think that this was that this was going to happen. Like I said, in, certainly in Chicago, um, I think that we had said definitely on the record that we were hoping that this success would happen, um, but just that it probably wasn't going to happen here. Um, but I think that, like you said, the, the ability to. Uh, like, I think it's a good point. Us being wrong can oftentimes be very good. Uh, you know, even I, I think the two I was thinking about the two strongest takes that that we've sort of had on the on the podcast or maybe three, but I'll say Carlos Redone's um, comeback. I was not expecting Zach Collins uh, and the ability to catch is another one. Um, and actually, Zach Collins on the major league, just being a major league player, I've had a lot of doubts about. Um, and it's funny because in this start, uh, again, one start happens to be a pretty special one. Uh, we saw kind of both of those things um, put doubt into into our own takes, or at least mine. I think I was probably a little bit stronger on the Collins one. Um, but, but in any case, uh, you know, does it mean that Carlos Rodon is back? Uh, does it mean that Zach Collins can catch in the major leagues? I think that the Rodon question is answered a little bit more because the stuff we saw, I mean, that that's still, the stuff is there. There's no doubt about that. There's no question. Um, can the can he be consistent with that? We'll see. There's a whole lot of season left. And um, again, like we mentioned, 28 years old, a whole lot of career left. Um, Zach Collins, awesome, awesome for, story for him. I mean, a lot of people, including myself, have doubted his ability to catch in the major leagues. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty incredible thing to add to the resume of catching a no-hitter. Uh, but we'll see on that one. Um, but it doesn't take away from the fact that he, you know, he was a, he was a part of that as much as you know anyone else on the field outside of you know Carlos himself, mm -hmm. um, but no, it was it was pretty amazing and uh, I'd still like to be wrong on Tony Larusa's <laughs> managing abilities, but uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I feel as if uh, it might be a little too early to make a firm judgment call on Tony Larusa. There have been some things yeah. that let that I've liked. There have been some things that I'm like, what the hell? Like, is, is this just Ricky Renteria and a Tony LaRusa mask? Like, what is this? Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit more about Zach Collins here. Now, um, along with you, uh, I have been a Zach Collins doubter uh, for a while. I am unabashed in my Zach Collins doubting. Uh, not necessarily known for his defensive prowess, but he called one heck of a game. Yeah. Uh, so I have noticed too, uh, he seems as if his framing has improved. Uh, he, he was able to steal a couple of strikes on Wednesday. That was really nice to see. Uh, so yeah, uh, that could possibly be attributed to a couple of things. Uh, so one thing that I've noticed too is that uh, Yasmani Grandal uh, certainly has uh, served as a mentor uh, mentor uh, for for Collins. Uh, the other thing too, I, I do know that uh, the White Sox hired a, a new new coach over the offseason, Jerry Naren, uh, to specifically work on catching fundamentals. So I do know that he's been working with Yermin Mercedes 
uh, to, help, to help him improve his catching, but I'm sure uh, he's worked with Zach Collins too to kind of improve some of those fundamentals. Uh, so uh, Naren uh, did a, a extraneous amount of work with James McCann, so I could only assume that uh, that same work is also being applied uh, to both Mercedes and Collins. Uh, so maybe we'll have just uh, a roster of in incredibly phenomenal catchers. Very narrow and cool glasses, even cooler handwriting, you know, yeah, that yeah. <laughs> you can't do like create fantastic catchers, uh, just completely out of the park penmanship. Just yeah. love, love the <laughs> um, really no, I'm... Japanese kanji too. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like with it's, it's, I didn't even think about the Mercedes part, but yeah. I mean, if, if you're mean, uh, you know, we know that your mean has already established himself as the best hitter in certainly the American League, at least we'll see about the, the National League as time goes on. Um, but if he can catch too, uh, you know, th that's these are these are really good problems to have to be overloaded with uh, uh, outstanding catchers on the roster. Um, but yeah, it's it's I think with Collins, I mean, for him, for his own career trajectory, uh the you know I, I think it's it's easy to forget how few uh, you know at bats he's had in the major leagues, um, which was which was something that that I that I often forget about when watching him um, you know in the past sort of struggle at the plate. But if he can develop as and I think on what was it on Sunday he threw out three batters two batters. He did. Uh, there was yeah. a yeah. So I mean those he are all things. Two. Was it two? It was at least two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so stuff like that, I mean, for, for him, it's, it's absolutely huge if he can add that value behind the plate, because then, you know, the questions, he doesn't have to rely on his bat. A lot of, a lot of teams, including the White Sox um, need that catching depth um, and he's still very young. So, uh, so yeah, we'll see what happens. And I think um, not to, <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, I feel like every podcast at some point that we've done uh, does, and we've joked about this, but does devolve somehow into uh, talking about Tony Larissa more than we we should, but uh, this is I real I'm realizing I think this is our first podcast since the season started, right? Um, uh, or maybe yes, it is. That's right, yeah. Because our last podcast was with with Eric Steven. Uh, yes, our opening series preview. Yeah. So I mean, so I think um, just looking at you know it's it's funny because the 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 most doubt I had in Larusa's lineup construction, and we can talk about this later too. But the most doubt I had was when people started freaking out about what I was texting you about Vaughn Gate uh, of Andrew Vaughn not um not in the lineup for the likes of you know Nick Williams or um, uh, Jake Lamb, uh, and you know I I wasn't panicking yet because to me it's sort of like you know there are injuries on this team, um, there you know Larusa is still trying to figure things out. I was sort of thinking if this Nick Williams, Jake Lamb lineup persists, then we could, you know, start to worry. But there was a lot of panic uh, on the south side of Chicago and the fans um, because I think people felt like, like, oh, like Tony's going with the veterans. He's doing this, doing that. And I mean, you know, that that day's lineup was confusing and also um, a couple other things. But I think largely I don't hate the way that uh, that Andrew Vaughn has been handled to this point. Um, I think that he's obviously he has not, you know, he's played uh, no minor league, or excuse me, very little minor league experience. Uh, this is, you know, he's kind of been thrown right into the majors. And I think that the expectation of him being an everyday player is very, very uh, likely to happen. Um, I think that at this point, I don't really mind if he, 
I, I'd like him to get the majority of the starts, obviously. But if he sits a day or two, I, I don't I don't think that's the worst thing either. All right. So a slight segue into maybe a slightly awkward topic. Uh, so thinking about Eloy and when he comes back, uh, pretty much every White Sox podcast I, I've been on in the past week, uh, after I have mentioned that we absolutely cannot put Eloy back in left field at, at mm. any cost. Everyone's like, yes, thank you. Oh my God. So uh, with Zach Collins, I feel as if uh, he's learned the position really well and has adapted really well in the short amount of time that this has been dropped in, in, into his lap. So uh, yeah, in that case, do you feel as if Andrew Vaughn should be our long-term left fielder? Because I, I can't put Eloy back there. Uh, and of course, too, I mean, I want, uh, I, I definitely want your mean Mercedes in the lineup. Uh, so if, if he's at DH, uh, that would make me so incredibly happy. Or if he can perhaps sub at catcher sometime, uh, the, the more uh, roster eligibility we have, I think the better. Uh, I'm thinking in, in fantasy terms, terms but uh yeah uh, goodness uh so yeah your thoughts on Andrew Vaughn in left field I mean yeah he's he's uh not he's not only has he not really done anything wrong yet at all he's actually looked pretty good out there um which I don't really like for me it wasn't about him being a good left fielder it was just about him not be doing dumb stuff and he has not done any done any dumb things yet um, because I don't want him to get hurt. Uh, because if you're trying to do things like Aloy was doing out there, um, we, you know, you could, we could have said this at any point over the last couple of seasons, the way that Aloy would play the outfield um, was dangerous to himself and, and, and others at times. <laughs> um, so uh, do I, do I want, you know, is Andrew Vaughn um, ideally the, the future left fielder? Uh, if that is not a question I thought we were going to be asking ourselves like a month ago. Um, but here we are. And I mean, you're right. Lineup, the lineup construction alone, the roster construction alone makes it. So that's kind of where he is going to be or going to have to be because I'm totally with you. I don't want a ever stepping foot uh, beyond, um, un, un, you know, basically beyond the infield. Cause he'll be running bases, I assume. Um, but uh, you know, it's just, it's tough though, because then you start to think about it. And I, and I, I do want to say these are good problems to have, but you do start to think about, yeah, what do you do with your mean? What do you do? And then I heard on the radio the other day, the idea of, do you, do you potentially look to trade your mean uh, down the road and, and, and really sell and sell high now to me, it's like, of course not. He's the greatest thing we've seen since he's the greatest uh, rookie hitter we've seen since Frank Thomas, but um. Uh, and that, and by the way, that's a fact. That's not hyperbolic at all. Uh, I, I just think that, um, but you do have to kind of ask these questions. I mean, because there will not be, again, we've already seen with injuries, it's extremely important to have depth, but uh, best case scenario, when everyone's healthy, uh, there's just not room for all these guys um, when you start to build out that lineup. Um, but I think in the meantime, it's, it's, it's a, a, a very good thing that they've got this depth um, and to answer, I know I just went very long of answering a relatively simple question of, uh, is Andrew Vaughn the future left fielder? I think somehow we are here to say that at least I'm here to say that. Yes, I think. <laughs> and by future, I want to clarify future means for the rest of 2021. Oh, certainly <laughs> for the rest. Yeah. For the rest of 2021. Yeah. Um, 
and I, yeah, I guess that at some point he'll, he'll take over um, Pito's uh, time at first base when that day comes. Um, also speaking of speak, going back to no header for a second, I am shocked that Jose Abreu didn't just destroy his leg again. Awesome. Like the best teammate ever, Jose Abreu, one of the best White Sox players ever, as far as what he's meant to the team and all that kind of stuff. But wow. I mean, I thought here, great, no hitter. And also uh, our, our, you know, our first baseman just, just tore up his leg, but he seemed to be okay. Yeah. He seemed to be okay. Uh, So I don't know how many of our listeners are also fans of uh, RuPaul's drag race. Uh, but uh, basically what Abreu did is uh, something known in the drag world uh, as a death drop. Uh, So (laughs) essentially what that means is when you're standing up, you just simply extend your leg and then fall flat uh, on on the floor. It it is a very dangerous move. I believe uh, one of the the first queens that did it on a drag race was uh, Laganja Estranja. Uh, So uh, if... uh, our listeners have no idea what the heck I'm talking about. Uh, I, I won't be talking about this for much longer, but essentially the whole point is that it's a very dangerous move in both the drag world and the baseball world. Uh, but I think uh, there are always going to be these incredibly just like web gem, completely just heart stopping defensive plays and every no hitter. So especially in Lucas Giolito's no hitter, uh, it was that final catch made by Adam Engel. Uh, in this, I think we had a couple, we had a couple yeah. of really good defensive plays. Uh, so one was, uh, yeah, Abreu's death drop uh, to, uh, to, to make sure that, uh, was it Josh Naylor, uh, that, that Josh Naylor yeah. out at first? Josh, Josh Naylor really wanted really uh, wanted to beat that out. He was mad. He was, he was. He was. <laughs> what I thought was really funny was, um, so uh, the NBC Sports broadcast actually showed him like being angry in slow motion. And so, <laughs> yeah. so he, he like just throws his head back and he's like, no. <laughs> Well, and I'm all for like Josh Naylor. He's, you know, he's a competitor out there. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be a part of a um, a perfect game or no hitter or whatever, at least on the other side of it. Uh, And so I don't, I don't blame him for doing that. I mean, you should never slide head first into head, head first uh, into first base. It's just a dumb thing to do. And it doesn't actually uh, make it more likely for you to be safe in a, in a bang, bang play. But um, I get him wanting to be safe, but at a certain point when he's called out, that reaction was like, all right, I mean, it is an eight nothing game. So it's, sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it like in one nothing game, two nothing, three nothing, maybe four nothing, whatever. It's like, I get it, but I mean, Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> a, a challenge play when you're down eight nothing um, is a little like, mm, like, like, like. What's the <laughs> point? What's the point? A lot of people were mad at uh, at Cleveland in general, uh, especially because um, of uh, Roberto Perez. Um, a lot of people were, were calling it the toe hitter, which I think is awful, by the way, uh, that they were blaming him for not getting out of the way. Uh, even if he did, even if he didn't, um, I, I feel as if that makes no difference because uh, it's not Cleveland's job to ensure that the opposing team, like, yeah. no hits them or or has a perfect game against them. When you're on the other side of the coin, like I completely understand that that's like incredibly embarrassing. Like you, you never want to be no hit. You never want to have a perfect game against you. So I completely understand the slow-mo nailer reaction. I completely understand like yeah. uh, 
Perez, uh, e- even if he like took the pitch on purpose, I don't think he did. Like, like who willingly gets hit with a pitch? Like, and it was that- it was a good pitch too. I mean, it was it was the pitch that I think Carlos wanted. To th- I mean, it was he executed it basically exactly how he wanted. And we've seen guys like Chris Sale before and Carlos Rodon strike guys out on pitches that hit them. So uh, Perez just took the pitch. So I mean, you know. And kind of like what Rod was saying earlier, where we just kind of saw uh, just Carlos uh, like chuckling on the mound, like yeah. assumedly he's not mad. And even if he was mad, like maybe some of that anger is, you know, at himself for like going way too inside or maybe some of that. Uh, like I mentioned before, maybe he's so incredibly angry. He's, he's just laughing at the whole absurdity of it like that. He's 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 gone this deep in a, in a ball game in his second start. Uh, just like not long after having Tommy John surgery and, and shoulder issues and so many other health problems that, you know, he's uh, yeah, he, he was so close to throwing a perfect game. So I think if um, I, I can kind of judge Carlos's uh, reaction, he's probably just laughing at the absurdity of it all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there, there was uh, there's a who I'm, I'm I should know. I'm just blanking on the name of the Detroit Tigers pitcher who got the the uh, perfect game taken away on the Jim Joyce call at first base uh, from why am I the, 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 the blown call at first. Do you, do you recall his name? Uh, how long ago is this? This was, I just completely, I'm going to Google it and people love when people don't worry, podcast listeners stick with me here. <laughs> well, Sam is Google. Um, I'll sing you all a song. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> uh, this was, oh, Armando Galarraga, uh, near perfect game. Um, so, so, uh, yes, there was a blown call that, that, uh, that was the, you know, by umpire Jim Joyce. And that was, let me just check the year because I've made, I looked it up. I may as well. Uh, that was in 2010. And I remember a buddy of mine years ago, like the day after that game, uh, we were talking about it and how it was just, it was just like, it was like, Oh, he blew it. He blew it all this kind of stuff. And then he, he brought up this thing to me that I thought was interesting. I've always thought about this with perfect game specifically. And it's that he said a perfect game in his opinion is, is the result of like, you know, the reason it's a perfect game is because everything has to be perfect. I mean, every, you know, the plays have to be made uh, you know, everyone has to kind of be on, on point throughout the game. And I, and he even said, including the umpires. And I thought that was really interesting. Again, that was a blown call in that Tigers game um, 11 years ago, but at the same time, much like in in the in this in Wednesday's uh, game in the no hitter, um, it it wasn't a perfect game. You know, he did he did hit Perez on the foot. I understand, like you said, it's it's so you know people were frustrated that Perez didn't get his foot out of the way, which I'm not so sure is like the easy. I think people are just the average armchair whatever fan watching the game. I'm not sure that it's like a given that you could just easily get your foot out of the way. Um, I know that a slider on TV looks slower than a fastball but it's still coming in pretty hot um so all that all that said um it wasn't it wasn't a perfect game because it wasn't a perfect game and he still got the no hitter and i think that the frustration that happened any you know you know you shouldn't read the text that i sent you uh right after Perez got hit that i was very frustrated but anyone who lingered with that beyond especially once the no hitter was complete um it takes away from what it was which is an amazing just a tremendous outing um, and a no hitter, which in its own right is pretty amazing. 
I think I saw a really bad take on Twitter. Uh, and again, uh, oh yes, seeing a bad take on Twitter is like like everything, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I open Twitter every day and I, I see just like complete, just basura, <laughs> just, just, just rolling through. Uh, but someone was like, uh, hey, if uh, Perez isn't wearing the first pitch he sees, what are we doing? Oh, yeah. Uh, just made, and I mean, be, t- just pushing aside, you know, physical violence for a brief moment. Uh, yeah, just being mad at Perez for not getting out of the way kind of cheapens the uh, the yeah. noter. Uh, and yeah, what uh, what Carlos did was absolutely dope. Still, an absolute great performance, and how he did it was also incredibly just fascinating too. And how his velo uh, was still firing like in the in the ninth inning. So I think if you're just blinded by Roberto Perez rage, which uh, admittedly I was at the very beginning of the podcast, but that's only because I hadn't had like all of my coffee yet. Now that I have had (laughs) all of my coffee, I am thinking clearly and I'm like, no, like you you can't be mad at him. Like, first of all, he was doing his job. Second of all, it's like, like, how do you get out of the way of that? And third of all, it's like, no, don't, don't cheapen the no hitter. Like it's still a, a still, still a fantastic feat. So. And like you brought up before, it it created a a really fun moment that, I mean, I'll remember for a long time. And I think you will too, with the, uh, with Carlos kind of laughing at it. And, (laughs) and I mean, now that was awesome. That's the kind of thing that for people, for people like us that are, that are watching, you know, pretty much every game throughout the year or as, as many as we can, um, you see stuff like that. And that, I mean, again, of course, this was a pretty special game, but it's the little moments like that, that like, we'll remember, we'll remember Carlos laughing off the, the, the hit, uh, hit Perez. Um, and then coming back and, and, you know, firing off his, his hardest pitches tonight, which I was unaware that, I mean, I think, I think it was, what was it? 98. What did it come out to? 98. 98.8. Yeah. Cause it showed on the gun is 99 on the broadcast. And I was like, Oh, I did not know that he could do that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and so I think that it reminded me and you were talking about this earlier, but it, it did remind me personally of, you know, like, Justin Verlander and, and, and watching him back in the day and, and these guys that we, they'd start out and they, you know, they're kind of sitting mid nineties, uh, maybe high nineties a little bit, but then as the game would progress, I mean, those are, that's what the, what the great pitchers do. Um, they're able to kind of conserve, conserve that velocity throughout a game and then really bring it out later on. And we've seen Justin Verlander do that to the white Sox throughout his career, frustratingly. Um, but to see Radon do it after everything, uh, was just, I know I've used this word a lot, but really incredible and, and really something that I absolutely, and I think more than I'll put it th- like, you know, I, I love Edwin Jackson. Um, I think he's uh, he's a pretty awesome, uh, awesome former player played in basically every city in the United States. Uh, he threw that, um, that no hitter years ago that I think he threw like 155 pitches and uh, whatever, still a no hitter. Uh, but I think that when you look at the way that Radon did it and you see that the way that his, that his, um, you know, velocity was there, his stuff was there. If you're looking a few weeks into the season at the trajectory of the importance that that means to this uh, pitching rotation as your, as your fifth pitcher, it's pretty, uh, a pretty great sign. That is a great place to be. Yeah. So essentially at this point, I think the only question mark in the rotation uh, might be Dylan Cease. Uh, he starts today. 
Uh, so we were kind of hoping that he would get some of those command issues together, uh, has still uh, remains yet to be seen, uh, but like you've mentioned before, uh, there's plenty of baseball left to be played. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, we need to discuss uh, your mean mania, yes. your mania, your mean Mercedes <laughs> mania. So uh, I've gone on a handful of shows so far um, asking me like, hey, like, is this guy for real? And uh, like long, long answer short, yes, I believe he is absolutely for real. Uh, the numbers uh, definitely show that, that there's proof in the pudding. Uh, he currently leads all of Major League Baseball right now in batting average at 476. He currently leads uh, the American League in OPS plus at 266. Uh, he has a on-base percentage of 522, uh, which uh, went down a little bit. I believe it was like 559. Uh, he's, he's totally slacking now. But uh, otherwise, he's got an OPS well north of, of 800 at a 1.3. Uh, so, oh my goodness. Um, he, he just seems to be able to hit. He has this amazing approach where uh, he changes his swing with the count, his two, uh, his, his two strike swing significantly different. Uh, he absolutely knows how to take pitches uh, as we saw uh, when uh, uh, Shane Bieber uh, pitched against the White Sox the other day. He seemed to be the only uh, person who had, uh, who uh, Tony Larusa put in a uh, late uh, in the game that was able to uh, yeah kind of draw out that at bat. Yeah. He's a great uh, at bat. Totally, yeah. And and uh, Bieber had everyone else's number the entire time. And I know there was lots of debate on whether uh, Mercedes should have started that game. Uh, spoiler alert: He absolutely should have. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, your mean Mercedes is absolutely incredible. Uh, your your Mercedes thoughts. Yeah, I mean, if if we have to uh, go and, and talk about how we were maybe wrong on uh, Carlos Rodon's um, comeback and maybe Zach Collins uh, being a, an effective catcher, I think oh, this is where we were right. Like, like, like this is where we were right. I mean, this this states back. <laughs> but the thing is, is like to me, you know, we we were both definitely on the Mercedes train, uh, and yeah. yeah, and I think you. For me, and I, I'm sure you're the same way, it didn't take anything more really than just looking what he had done at every level um, in, in, both, uh, in both, you know, the minor leagues and in the you know, independent leagues and, in, and other, you know, playing internationally, all those kinds of things. Um, I understand that there's a difference between that and doing it in the major leagues, of course, but there was no point that he had ever not hit. Um, the only question uh, was, it was, you know, he was kind of positionless. Um, at least throughout those points of his career, but um, but no, the the hit tool was never a question. And then that was when this year the White Sox pretty badly needed that uh, needed a DH um, to for him to get the opportunity in the way that he did uh, was was pretty unlikely. And no, I think uh, you brought it up his approach at the plate. Even you know he's hit some of the most impressive home runs that I've seen hit in the last several years. Um, already he's hit a couple of those uh, this year. Um, and, but more than that, honestly, more than that, the thing that impresses me and the thing, the reason I think that this will sustain is like you mentioned his, his eye at the plate, his approach, he's taken walks. He's not up there looking to, you know, he's had two strike counts, uh, several times where, um, we've seen younger batters or younger hitters in the past, um, you know, go chasing after whatever's thrown. He's not looking to do that. Um, and I think that's what is the sign to me that 
if the question is, is he real or whatever? Yeah. I mean, he's real and he's got an actual approach up there. I mean, you know, I know that he's beloved by many White Sox fans, but Daniel Polka was a guy that hit some very impressive home runs in a White Sox uniform. But I'm not so sure that um, the, the, if you were watching the approach, if it was all that sustainable, he was pretty, pretty much swinging at whatever and would occasionally make contact. And he did make some very impressive contact. But in your means case, as just a pure hitter, he just looks he looks every bit the part. Um, and to to have not only that, but be the personality that he is um, in the, on this team is um is such a added bonus too um so yeah i think it's very real and uh and we'll just kind of see what happens as as you know going before about what happens with uh if uh, or when aloy comes back and all that but um right now just just got to enjoy it i think i was reading a prospect report uh, a little before the season started it actually was well before spring training. And so the, the, the Yermin Mercedes section uh, mentioned that he uh, absolutely is a, a, a hitter uh, that makes excellent contact that has an interesting approach. Uh, but the scouting report also mentioned how incredibly fun he is. And uh, yeah, he's got a fun personality. Uh, he's kind of embraced uh, this nickname, the Yerminator. Uh, so what, what <laughs> I think is pretty cool. He refers to himself as the Yerminator now. And so um, I, I found it really cute that I believe it was Chuck Garfine that asked him like, hey, like, are, are you okay with this nickname? And uh, I, I know what it's like to have a nickname assigned to you that you don't approve of. <laughs> and I know uh, Francisco Lindor does not like being called Frankie. Uh, so it, it, it's really, uh, and, and I know um, uh, Henry Aaron uh, preferred to be called Henry over Hank. Uh, so it, it, it's really fun to uh, see your mean uh, embrace this and kind of take on this nickname. Uh, because it, it, it's, it's super badass. I mean, who, who doesn't want to be called the Yerminator, I suppose. Uh, so uh, he, he's, he's got this kind of fun, uh, badass uh, kind of uh, air to him. Uh, besides uh, knowing last year, I, I do know he violated COVID protocol last year in some regard. Yeah, yeah I, I, I remember that. <laughs> Uh, not exactly. I, I don't know too much uh, into detail about what happened there, uh, but uh, yeah, he's he's still like a, a really f- a fun dude to watch. Yeah. Um, no. So, I mean, I, I forgot about that. I, I was actually I, now that you say it, I remember, I think, texting you about it or something and, and saying, like, I think <laughs> I think your means that a per his social media at a club right now or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. But in any case, um, yeah, we'll, we'll just see what happens. And I think it's a good reminder, a good PSA that, um, you know, he most likely will not continue to hit, you know, 500 uh, this season. And, and if he got, does quote unquote, like fall down, fall back down to earth. Um, I don't think that that's really, uh, I think that you'll see some people saying, oh yeah, here it is, that kind of thing. But uh, no, I think it's very expected that that's what happens. You come into the league you either pitchers adjust to you or you adjust to them. And then it's kind of that battle of adjusting until you kind of find your spot. But I think that uh, what we've seen already shows that there's definitely sustainability um, certainly as a hitter. And I would love if he could get some, some reps behind the plate uh, before the season's up too. I think that would be interesting to see what, what he might have there. Um, But I want to talk about something that is a little bit, not quite as fun, which is the White Sox, uh, monster bullpen that we thought was supposed to be a monster and maybe uh is having some issues 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, we originally thought it would be uh, a very scary monster. I mean, it's still a monster, just a yeah. very less scary monster than, than we thought. I'm trying to think of uh, less scary monsters off the top of my head. Maybe like Mike Wazowski, perhaps. <laughs> I was, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> a, mon- a monster of, yes, a monster, but... <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Cookie Monster. <laughs> That's yeah. Be yeah. Else. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So I, I do have a little bit of concern, and then that's kind of where my earlier criticisms of Tony Larusa probably come in here. That the bullpen was used in ways that were very Renteria like. Um, so yeah. uh, bringing in Liam Hendricks when you're down, I think it was like six nothing or whatever. I yeah. can't remember the score. Uh, but essentially, you don't have your multi million dollar closer performing mop up duty. Like what? Like what the heck? Um, other than that, I'm a little concerned with Garrett Crochet in particular. Uh, I've noticed that the velo is down a tick. Uh, I'm not sure if that's because uh, coaching is telling him to ramp it down so he doesn't blow out his arm, uh, knock on wood, uh, or if perhaps uh, there might be something wrong that we don't know about. Um, other than that, uh, I feel as if uh, Michael Kopech has been pretty fa- incredible. I- I've yeah. liked what I've seen from him so far. Uh, yeah, when Kopech's on the mound, I'm just like completely relaxed. I- I'm yeah. not, you know, just like digging my fingernails into my couch in like in, in anxiety. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel as if uh, there have been some parts where the bullpen have is-, is certainly strong, but there are some other parts where I'm just like, uh, I don't know if maybe we need to be paying closer attention to this, uh, particularly Crochet's health. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the Crochet thing. And, and, you know, the other day when he came in and gave up a, a few runs, I, I texted you some a lot of frustration. And I think you had brought up a good point, too, in response, saying that he has been thrown into some tough situations this year, which is true. I think he's he appeared in both. Uh, he's been in both games where they've had the runner at second in the extra innings. Um, and he's had some issues defensively. He's had some, you know, it's just, it's some tough spots. He's shown a couple flashes of good things. Um, but that's something to monitor. I'm not, I'm not in full panic yet, but definitely something to monitor. Um, but you're right. Michael Kopech, I think a part of the reason why we watch him with such calm or, or relaxation is because I think a lot of that comes from him. You know, that's, that's a guy who has, I think been through a lot over the last few years, um, personally and professionally and whatever this, whatever has led him to, this 2021 version of, of Michael Kopech, he seems like on the mound, like he's composed, um, like he's got all of his, you know, from the, just the, the pure baseball side, his stuff is off the charts. Um, but we kind of already knew that. I think that seeing him, his just composure on the mound, um, and his sense of calm, I think is the, is the updated, uh, software version of Michael Kopech or something. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think, it's funny because there's there's certainly been struggles uh, offensively. I think that the that that you look at you know the the bullpen hasn't quite been as advertised yet, um, and the the offense certainly has not been as advertised. Again, missing Tim Anderson for several games um, without Eloy for what will be probably most of the season. Uh, even Adam Engel's uh, absence has has been seen as well. Um, but all of that said, you know the reason I'm not. I'm not really panicking really at all at this point, um, even with the underwhelming play is they're a game under 500 and they haven't been playing near uh, to their potential, not even close. 
Um, so I don't want to sound like a, like a, you know, huge Homer here or whatever, but um, it's just, I don't know. I, I just see a team that, that has, that is, that's basically been playing kind of overall kind of poor baseball and, um, and they're, they're, they're just a game under 500. Uh, you know, they win today. Um, again, this podcast is being recorded on Saturday morning. They went out in Boston. They're back to 500, and then then we'll see. But they have certainly not been on that run yet that we see teams, um, you know, get on at some point throughout the year, especially good ones. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, thank you for bringing everyone uh, back down to earth there. Uh, so to uh, you sent me this interesting. Uh, uh, image last night about the White Sox run differential. Uh, so run differential essentially is uh, the uh, um, the amount of run production uh, compared to the amount of runs one one is given up. So right now the White Sox are at plus sixteen uh, for the year. To give you some perspective, the Detroit Tigers are at negative seventeen. Uh, the Minnesota Twins, who are currently in last place, are at plus 13. So one can argue that maybe run differential may not be, might not be nor here nor there because it doesn't necessarily win ball games. It's just more of an attestment to how your pitching staff is performing and how your lineup is producing. So uh, not necessarily indicative of the ability to win, but looking at the AL Central standings right now. Uh, so I believe Detroit last la- lost last night. So did Minnesota. So the White's Sox are in third place. Uh, So a game uh, beneath 500, as you mentioned, Cleveland is a game over 500. And then we have KC kind of sitting at the top here uh, with a three game winning streak. Now, uh, I don't think that's probably going to last. Uh, The White Sox, given um, that run differential statistic you sent, they will probably climb back up to the top eventually. But still, uh, there's plenty of baseball left to be played in the year. Uh, Plenty uh, remains yet to be seen. Uh, So, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, I believe that does it for this episode of Northside Sox. So earlier we had uh, Rod Whitesell of the Holly Springs uh, High School uh, baseball team. Uh, He's the coach, head coach, actually. Yeah. So, uh, and we talked a little bit about uh, some of the fears we had about the team, as well as a lot of the other recent successes we've had. Uh, But anyway, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, I am Janice Scurrio. You can follow me on Twitter at Scuriosa, S-C-U-R-I-I-O-S-A. Follow Northside Sox at Northside Sox Pod. Uh, Follow Southside Sox, too. I feel as if we don't promote them enough. The mothership, (laughs) the mothership. They are at Southside Sox. Uh, but Sam, yeah, any last words, any last thoughts today before we, uh, yeah, head head into a Dylan C start later? Well, you know, um, not not really. I, I lit my sage incense uh, about an hour ago. It just it just it, this those hour long incense, and they just it just burned up. So um, the room has been officially healed. Um, I'm ready to start <laughs> the, start the day. Uh, to go out into public because you know my body and soul have all been been healed um uh, you know i'm i'm jo- i'm talking like i'm joking but i'm very serious uh, the the sage incense it's really a a, a big thing for me <laughs> um, but no uh that's going to do it for 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 me um but i hope everybody has a lovely a lovely weekend here uh in chicago and wherever you're listening to the podcast right, peace